0: This is the judgment of the world. The light came into the world, but we loved darkness. It seems, you see, that the world, this world that John's gospel describes, this world that has, that finds itself in the thrall of power and rivalry and greed, it seems that this world has in fact won. Pilate is the ultimate embodiment of power, isn't he? Standing in front of Jesus, he says, Do you not know that I have the power to release you or the power to crucify you? Sentencing Jesus to death, he has it written above Jesus' head, notice in Aramaic, in Greek. In Latin, the king of the Jews. The purpose of the sign, by the way, is very, very, very precise. Why did the Jewish leaders, want it changed, why would Pilate refuse? Why is it important to have a sign above Jesus' head saying, this is the king of the Jews? It's kind of like posting a sign outside of quarantine zone. It's posting a warning sign, if you go in here, it is at your mortal risk. By Pilate naming a crucified, naked Jew as the king of the Jews, Pilate's inviting other contenders. Anyone else want to try? That's the message of the sign. This is what happens to kings of the Jews. You see, power has won. Jesus, it seems, has also lost at the hands of greed. One of his own disciples sells him out. For whatever motivation, he disappears into the night. Jesus also, it seems, is here the victim of rivalry one of his closest disciples to the very end is keeping a concealed blade waiting for the moment for Jesus to give the word to attack his enemies. And then when Jesus refuses to give that word, when he simply hands himself over, Peter says, I don't belong to this man. Power. Greed. Rivalry. This is the judgment of the world, John says. The light came into the world, but we preferred darkness. Judas betrayed him. He disappeared into the night. Simon Peter denied him. He didn't last until daybreak. This all makes John pretty remarkable, doesn't it? Do you notice, if you've, again, been paying attention through the last few readings, do you notice that whenever John appears in the readings, do you notice how close he always is to Jesus? Around the table, John is reclining next to Jesus. After Jesus' arrest, after he is taken into the court of the high priest, Past the gate, John knows the high priest. He exploits that connection so that he can follow Jesus. Peter is left outside notice, initially outside the gate. And then with John's recommendation, he's brought into the courtyard. And then he leaves Peter there. And John continues to go further and further and further. Wherever Jesus goes, John follows. He reclines next to Jesus at the table. He follows Jesus into the house of the high priest. He pursues Jesus right through to the appearance before Pilate. It's always struck me that there are details about Jesus' trial. There are details about what some of Jesus' opponents say that we only read in John's Gospel. That we only read in John's Gospel. John mightn't have understood, but he stayed close. Remember Jesus' warning at the end of John 12 walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. Judas disappears into the night. Peter doesn't last until daybreak, but wherever Jesus goes. John follows. He mightn't understand, but he stays close. Until finally we read this. Meanwhile, staggering to me how easily we pass over this bit in the Passion narrative. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. From that moment, the disciple took her into his home. Even beyond the point where John could follow Jesus, he remains close to his mother, brings her into his home, becomes her son. It's not surprising that the history of Western art is full of attempts to grasp the crucifixion of the Son of God. The moment when the darkness finally closes in around the light, when power and greed and rivalry finally assert their claim over the body of the Son of God and say about this body, it is cursed. There is one painting, however, that has always been particularly powerful. And especially in the context of John's gospel, it is uniquely Potent. Thanks. Early in the 16th century, there was an order of monks called the Order of St. Anthony. The Antonites, the Order of St. Anthony, were hospitallers, they were healthcare workers. Their monastery in Eisenheim was not a place of simply prayer, worship, silence, and solitude. Instead, their monastery had been transformed into a hospital. In the 16th century, the Antonites, the Order of St. Anthony, commissioned an artist named Matthias Groenwald to paint an altarpiece for their chapel. You don't quite get the scope But that is enormous. The painting itself is roughly the size of a ping-pong table, if you can imagine the ping-pong table put up. It's an altarpiece resting on the altar itself. You can see several remarkable things about it. You can notice, for instance, how disproportionately large Jesus' body is. It dwarfs all other bodies in the altarpiece. You notice that Jesus' limbs are uniquely distorted in the history of Christian art. His hands are defying gravity. Everything else you noticed, even the crossbeam, is bending down. Everything bends down, everything points down. Jesus registering his agony, his hands cruelly twisted up. Maybe you can't quite see it, but there is a flow of blood coming from Jesus' side that's being caught in the cup by Mary Magdalene. You mightn't also be able to see it, but Mary has a sash, a little red cord that's running down. Everything about the painting is pointing down, is gesturing down. You could almost say, in the sense that I've been using it this morning, Jesus is bearing the weight of the world. You'll notice the background of the painting is darkness. The darkness here has closed in around Jesus. Next slide. One of the diseases that was treated by the order of the Antonites, a disease that ended up being named after them, is a skin condition. Uh, Its technical name is Ignis sacer, sacred fire or holy fire, but it came to be known as St. Anthony's fire. It's a debilitating, crippling pox, it's a necrosis of the sin of the skin. The skin would turn green and slowly die. You'll notice in the way that Matthias Groenwald painted Jesus. Notice the tinge of green around his lips. Notice the protrusions of thorns from his skin. Notice the pock marks around his body each one angrily tinged green. Notice Jesus' head too. Again, cruelly bent down by the weight of this dark world. Matthias Groenwald did something very troubling with this painting. He gave Jesus the disease that the Antonites were treating. Highly contagious, if not mortal, then cripplingly painful. Matthias Groenwald gave Jesus the disease that this order of St. Anthony had given their lives, had devoted themselves to treating. Why? Why? Some people thought that this was to help the sick who would come to the chapel and would look up at the painting and see Jesus suffering from what they suffered. And they would derive a certain comfort from that. Well, Jesus went through something similar. That doesn't come anywhere near the truth, though. Saying that Jesus suffers from a disease from which I suffered, not entirely sure how exactly that alleviates my suffering or makes it different from what it otherwise was. What we miss, though, is what comes next in the painting. You remember that everything is bending down. Everything is pushing down. Everything is directing your eyes down. Down to what? Thank you. This is at the base of the altarpiece you can see precisely the ravages of the disease on Jesus' body. And who is that next to him? Who is the one closest to him? In the previous frame, he was there comforting and embracing Jesus' mother. And here he is, bending himself towards Jesus' own puck. Marked, disease-ridden body. This, of course, is St. John. Matthias Groenwald did something quite remarkable for this order of St. Anthony. The point of this altarpiece, with its grotesque depiction of the weight of this dark world weighing down on Jesus with a depiction of Jesus as suffering from necrosis of the skin. Jesus suffering with these infection-tinged pockmarks on his body. What Matthias Groenwald is saying, he is not addressing those who are sick and in his hospital with, look, Jesus is suffering like you. Instead, the object of this altarpiece isn't the sick but the order of St. Anthony themselves by staying close to the sick by tending their wounds by embracing them in their pain by refusing to leave their side you like john are tending to christ so don't be afraid to draw near don't be afraid to come close for in coming close you are staying in the light is it any wonder that saint john after writing his gospel, then writes to the church and says this. This is in 1 John chapter 3. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, when the world hates you. How can a world that is in the thrall of rivalry and power and greed, how can it not? Do not be astonished that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life Because we love one another. Whoever does not love has not passed to life, but abides in death. And we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has this world's goods? And gives themselves over to greed, who sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help them. Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. The night reclaimed Judas. Peter did not last until daybreak. John could not have understood the depth of the darkness that was enveloping Jesus. And yet he remained close. The one thing he knew to do was to stay in the light, to stay close to Jesus. And that's why throughout John's letters, this is the lesson of the crucifixion. Of Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for us. Therefore, we lay down our lives for one another. This then is the question for us on this Good Friday. What world do you belong to? What world do you want to live in? A world that's in the thrall of rivalry, power, and greed. A world that sees need and sneers at it with indifference and contempt. A world that uses what power we have in order to deny it to others. A world that will not forgive our rivalries, our bitter feuds. Or are we prepared to belong to the world that God has remade through the dead, the dead and resurrected body of his son? By this we know we have passed from death into life because we love one another. Which world do you belong to? The one who enveloped Jesus in darkness or the one that God has redeemed by the light of the life of his son.